Studiosity acknowledges the traditional Indigenous custodians of country throughout Australia and all lands where we work, and recognises their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to Elders both past and present. I'd like to uh, welcome Michelle Trudgett, Deputy Vice-Chancellor, Indigenous Leadership from Western Sydney University. Um, I've known Michelle for many years and have watched her career with interest and great joy at her success. So Michelle, rather than my tell your, your story, can you tell your story to people who would be listening to you? Who are you? What have you achieved? What drives you? Thanks, Judith. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm Michelle Trudgett. First and foremost, I'm a proud Wiradjuri woman uh, born in Dubbo, New South Wales. I work at Western Sydney University in the position Deputy Vice-Chancellor of Indigenous Leadership. I've been here for four years. Um, absolutely love this number one university in the world. Um, and it's, it's, I think my job in, encompasses everything Indigenous related in the, in the institution, but I also have the luxury of contributing to the sector more broadly, which is um, very much a passion of mine. Um, what drives me? Um, I think having impact on people, having impact on our communities, um, seeing how I can influence change and um, bring about good things for people that's going to make a difference in um, not only their lives but that for generations to come. Can you just tell us a little bit more about how you got to where you are and, and what, were the, what were the roles and positions and achievements? Yeah. Sure. So um, Judith, way back when at Macquarie University days, um, I got my first real academic job, I'd say, um, as an Indigenous postdoc, and I was Macquarie's first Indigenous uh, person to hold a postdoctoral research fellow um, position, and that's when you were there, Judith. Um, and then um, after that, I rose through the, the ranks of Macquarie pretty fast, and um, it was just a couple of years after that that I was the um, head of department, head of Indigenous studies, which way back when was essentially the most senior Indigenous staff member in the university. And it was responsible for not only just the, um, the Indigenous studies academic portfolio, so the research, learning and teaching, so on, but also the student support um, you know, the government relations side of things, the policy side of things. Um, pleased to hear that that they changed it not long after um, so that there's now a pro-vice-chancellor Indigenous in that position and there's also a head of Indigenous studies. But back then it sort of encompassed everything Indigenous. Um, from that head of Indigenous studies uh, position, I from then I was actually an associate professor back then, I moved into a professor position at UTS where I had the luxury um, of establishing a centre. So at the time, the, the centre had no brand, no name, no identity. Um, all we knew was that we had to contribute to introducing Indigenous knowledges for a graduate attribute um, across the university. That was pretty much the only sort of scope we had at the time. But we've built a really robust, phenomenal Indigenous centre, which um, was the Centre for Advancement of Indigenous Knowledges, or otherwise known as CAKE, as it became. Um, I stayed there at UTS for a few years and um, then moved to Western Sydney Uni in 2019 um, in the role as Pro-Vice-Chancellor uh, 
Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander education strategy and consultation, as it was called back then. Um, I often challenge people to try to find a job title that was longer than 12 words, uh, which I had back in the day. Uh, and then for the last two years, I've held the position um, Deputy Vice Chancellor of Indigenous Leadership. And I think for me, one of the really profound things about that was that Western Sydney University was only the second university in the country's history of establishing a Deputy Vice Chancellor of Indigenous position. Um, Sydney University did it back in 2011, and no university uh, followed suit for 10 years until uh, Professor Barney Glover, my wonderful Vice Chancellor, um, decided to change that by putting me in the DVC uh, elevated position, which I think is is really important because from then uh, we've since seen many a university follow suit, and we now have quite a few Indigenous people in DVC positions, which is great. We've, we're in a very interesting moment in our history with both reconciliation, but also voice, the voice. Can you help talk to us about um, what reconciliation means to you personally as a proud Wiradjuri woman, but also how in your role as DBC, you, your role is to actually facilitate and engage that? Yeah, I think um, reconciliation, to be honest, Judith, is a really interesting notion. Um, I think originally when it was established, it was designed to bring Indigenous and non-Indigenous people together um, with a vision of moving forward, um, you know, together. And, and that's great, that's great, but I think that sometimes um, uh, missions and visions get lost in rap plans, to be honest. Um, so when I started at Western Sydney University, we didn't have a RAP and we didn't have an Indigenous strategy. And I thought long and hard about which direction I wanted to take the university um, because I, I don't necessarily think that institutions need both because they're essential, similar, driven documents. Mm -hmm. um, but I went for an Indigenous strategy as opposed to a RAP um because it signified that we then had embedded strategic commitments that had gone through a number of governance number of bodies um and that everybody could get on board with one thing i've learned is that reconciliation can be somewhat contested by many members of the indigenous community um i have some staff members that actually won't go to reconciliation events um, because they believe that they've got nothing to reconcile. And it's that sort of tension that I think can sometimes be a little problematic. Um, so for me, I um, strongly encourage across our university uh, people in campus provost positions, so the leaders of our campus, to really drive the reconciliation events. And they, of course, get support from my office. Um, and, you know, we go along to whatever we can and support them. Um, but with NAIDOC week, for example, that's driven by my office. So we're responsible for ensuring that a full program is um, embedded across the university, across different campuses, and that there's lots of activity there. So, yeah, and just in terms of the voice, Judith, um, look, I think the voice is really interesting. Um, I'm watching it on a daily basis. We're taking a position at Western Sydney University that it's about educating our staff and our um, students and broader community 
to have as much information as possible at hand so that then they can make the best decisions for themselves, their families, their communities, and of course, the nation more broadly. Um, so we've done things like all staff webinars, we've developed a um, voice or a statement library guide where we host a number of resources from newspaper articles to television shows and um, so on. And we have, you know, social justice network event will take place soon. We're doing a second all staff webinar on it. So there's lots and lots of things happening. It's all about information dissemination as opposed to actually telling people how they should vote. Um, I think that individuals can certainly stand up and say, I'm going to vote in a certain way. Um, I, and I encourage that when, when people want to do that. Uh, but we've also got to be mindful that a good section of our university community um, are on the no side or on the undecided side. Um, and we have to think strategically um, and uh, ethically at the same time about how we take their viewpoints into consideration while trying to move the country forward at the same time. So that's that's quite the challenge, um, I think, for us. And, and in fact, the more and more people want information. They want, they want to be educated. They want to understand what the pitfalls, what the, what the, what the possibilities are. And it sounds as to me as though that's what you're doing. You're, you're, you're educating people, but it's, it's not indoctrinating them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm aware that, you know, every single person um, that's registered to vote, and I think that's something like 17 million people um, in the country, need to go to the polls later in the year and make a decision. And I want our people at Western Sydney University to make that decision feeling as though they've got the information that they needed in order to um, feel like, uh, you know, their, their decision is informed and that they can stand by it. I, I do think, though, Julie, that the longer, the longer the country leaves it till we get to those polls, the more chance it will be of being a, a no vote. And that's just that's just my personal view. That's, um, you know, not based on any scientific evidence or anything like that, but it is a concern of mine. Oh, and I think there are many of us that feel that same concern and um, and it's also maintaining people's interest. So yeah. how, how do you keep people interested rather than, oh, God, we've just got to get over the line? And you know, I'll decide on the day. Can I get back to your being an Indigenous leader and being a woman Indigenous leader? Talk to me about that. Um, intersectionality at its, at its finest, really. <laughs> um, um, I look. I love being an Indigenous leader. I think it's a big responsibility. Um, you know, to carry, and it's one that I don't take lightly. I think, and nor do, you know, any of my Indigenous um, colleagues that are in leadership positions. What we've got around the sector and the calibre of Indigenous leadership these days is absolutely phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, we do stand on the um, shoulders of giants that have really done the hard yards to pave the way for us to be in the seats that we are at today. Um, I think that being a, a woman in this position um, 
you know, is, is interesting <laughs> um, in itself. Um, I, I think, you know, we, we come to any position, regardless of who we are, whether we're identified as being female or Indigenous or whatever, we come with our own lived experiences. And I often tell people that what is seen as perhaps a disadvantage or a deficit by others should actually be flipped on its head. And it's what makes you unique or it's what makes you special. And it's that that then you turn into a strength. Um, so I think that being Indigenous, being a woman are absolutely strengths. Um, they're strengths that I like to, you know, draw upon on a daily basis, um, you know, and when we look around boardrooms in Australia, we often, too often, happen to see older white men. Um, it's true from university you know, sec the higher education sector, that's true of, you know, um, the top um, companies in the, in the country, financial companies and so on. And I think that what I bring and what others, um, female Indigenous leaders bring is we don't reflect that. We don't reflect the same. We don't re reflect the status quo. And as such, we actually come with a unique skill set um, to offer that is actually quite different to many of the other people sitting around that boardroom table. And I think that that's slowly getting traction and, and slowly being recognised. Um, but, of course, it could be, could be amplified a lot more. If we just go back to The Voice, for example, we have some institutions um, and some companies, whether they you know, be university institutions or big, big corporate companies, that are very, very proactively supporting the voice and, and power to them. That's great. Um, I encourage that. Fantastic. But there's a big but. They have zero Indigenous people in their own boardroom. Or they, you know, and they're saying the government should have this voice. The government should have an Indigenous leadership voice advising them. But I find that incredibly hypocritical when if they were to take a mirror up to their own organisation, it's actually not there. So that to me is highly problematic. So how would you describe yourself as an Indigenous leader? Um, look, I, I try my best to, to listen and get advice. I then try to uh, paint a journey, paint a vision, get people on that journey. Um, I'm not afraid to take some bizarre steps, let's say. So, you know, sometimes people will say, hang on, Michelle, if you'd go do that, that's really controversial. You know, you will not hear the end of it or it can be your reputation or whatever it might be. Um, but if I truly believe in my heart that um, taking that step being, you know, some may say courageous, um, some may say just downright silly, um, but taking that step, um, we'll have a better result for our university or our community in the long run and that I might have to, you know, suffer some hard times for a short period of time for that great outcome to emerge in the end, then I'll take those hard steps. Um, so I think I'll describe myself as a thoughtful um, leader, a strategic leader, an innovative leader, but um, also a courageous leader. I agree. Oh, thank you. 
<laughs> so my last sort of question is we've got these sort of, um, in inverted commas, cultural activities like NAIDOP Week, Reconciliation, The Voice. Are they joined up? Are they connected? And what's, what's, what's the value to Australia about having these vi visible and valued? Yeah, look, I think the three that you just mentioned, um, NAIDOP, Reconciliation and The Voice, are all national matters. You know, um, they're, they're relevant to absolutely everybody in our country, all three things. Um, people should get involved in NAIDOP and celebrate what is the oldest culture in the world. You know, that's not just for Indigenous people to go and celebrate, it's for our country to celebrate, for our country to be proud. Reconciliation is all about us coming together and working together um, into the future, making our country a better place for generations to come. And then the voice is absolutely a, a national issue. Um, whenever I speak about the voice to people, I always say, you know, the, the thing that people are thinking wrongly about is that they can't comment on the voice because it's an Indigenous issue. It's actually not. It's a national matter. Um, only just over 3% of the people in the polling booths at the end of the year will be Indigenous people. The other 97 or so percent won't be. So it's absolutely a national matter. I strongly encourage people to just get involved in those three things, have the dialogue, um, celebrate Indigenous culture. I think people will find that Indigenous people um, tend to really get on board with that and, you know, that they want people to come together and um, have that vision and that journey of excellence together to make our country the best nation that it absolutely possibly can be. And what a great way to end our conversation. Michelle, thank you for giving me 20 minutes of your time today. Um, I've enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed it. And others, when they look at it, will get a lot from what you've told us today. Thank you, Judith. My absolute pleasure. You have been listening to Studiosity's podcast, Reimagining Higher Education. Candid conversations within higher education, sharing stories of leadership, change, and best practice in teaching and learning visit studiosity.com.